Good morning from MPB Think Radio. This is Southern Remedy, where the doctor is always in. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart, professor of internal medicine and pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. Thanks for joining us this morning. We're going to be talking about your health issues. That's right. We want you to call in today. You can reach us this morning with anything that's been on your mind by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We would love to hear from you this morning and about what is ailing you. This is Southern Remedy from MPB Think Radio. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464, or you can email the show remedy at mpbonline.org. And now, Southern Remedy on MPB Think Radio. Good morning and welcome to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy Stewart, Professor of Internal Medicine and Pediatrics at the University of Mississippi Medical Center. And your host today as we talk about your medical conditions. That's right. This program is really driven by whatever is on your mind. It's an opportunity for you to call in with a specific healthcare question about yourself or someone in your family or maybe even a friend. And we'll try to do our best to answer that for you or point you in the right directions, at least. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. I want to emphasize that email, too, because it's not just while we're on the air. It's also when we're not on the air. So if something comes up and... You're like, you know what? I should have asked Dr. Jimmy about that. You can always email us, and uh, we'll get to that. We'll probably uh, try to respond to you directly, but we may from time to time respond to some of those on the air as we have uh, opportunity to do that. So check that out if you want to listen to old programs. Maybe you caught uh, half of a program, uh, and you're like, oh, man, I just came in a little bit too late. You can always go to MPB online and listen to previous programs there as we try to archive those for you. Um, all right. Well, man, it's great spring, early spring morning this morning. I've walking outside to the studio and I was like, man, it is such a beautiful time of year. I don't know about your trees and flowers. They have popped out. I am really praying hard for uh, no freeze between now and Easter, which is usually our uh, rule of thumb here in the deep south. Um, but uh, hoping everybody's enjoying the weather, though, because it is beautiful. If you have allergies, just keep in mind that trees love to pump out their pollen once it gets a little warmer and when they receive a lot of rain, which we certainly have had that all throughout the south and in Mississippi. So get ready for that. If you have a regimen, it's much better to prevent those things before they lock in on you and you get sort of socked in with that pressure in your uh, upper part of your face and head. Uh, so you might want to check out a regimen. There's lots of them online. MD Consult has a really good one about a nasal levide system, but you can get those over the counter at any kind of pharmacy like Walgreens, Walmart. Uh, they have various brands. They all work the same. And 
using some distilled or sterile water. You can use a neti pot. You can use some other nasal applicators to sort of wash all that gunk off of your nasal passages. And uh, it's a it's a good, simple regimen that doesn't have a lot of side effects. Now, there's been some instances and in scares of, of amoeba that you might get from tap water. That's why we usually recommend using distilled water if you're going to do that. But it is a simple regimen that can keep your nose uh, clean and clear of all those things. You have to do it on a regular basis, of course. But again, this is the time of year to do it, particularly if you're sensitive to those tree pollens. All right, we're going to go to Sue in Beaumont. Good morning, Sue. Thanks for calling this morning. Good morning. I, I heard about 20 minutes of something on a movie the other day. I was burning something in the kitchen, so I couldn't really get in there and sit down and watch it. But <laughs> there was this researcher from Nigeria. Now, this is, supposed, this is a true story, supposedly. There was a researcher from Nigeria who was living in the United States who found that repeated concussions incurred from playing football was a cause of retired NFL players developing mental illness and committing suicide. And the NFL tried to have the Nigerian deported and shut down his research. Is that true? I mean, that did happen. Did I, mean, I remember hearing yeah. something about that. Yeah, that was a true story. So that was, and I'm blanking on the name of the movie, but you're right. It was a, uh, it was a physician mm-hmm. who started noticing a trend, which is, you know, what we're sort of trained to do from a population health standpoint. We certainly treat individuals, but when we start noticing you know, patterns of things happening, then we're, we try to look at the common denominator. So this physician very astutely said, you know what, as NFL players are getting older, they're starting to have these mental illnesses, they're starting to have early dementia, they're, they have memory loss, even if they don't have full-blown dementia, they may have Parkinson-like uh, symptoms uh, with, with a tremor. So putting things together really sort of shed light on uh, repeated concussions, which prior to that, nobody had really looked at. They knew that there were some immediate uh, complications of those. But most people thought, um, you know, that that if you had a concussion and you got over it, you would be just fine. So what we now know, and there's a lot of, uh, of ongoing research in concussions, a lot of monitoring devices that they now have in helmets, uh, to to monitor this, to try to predict that, to see if we can sort of change that uh, that outcome. And you mentioned that you know a lot of the NFL players after they retired. Now there is a uh, there's a huge study that uh, that looks at NFL players who are retired now, and not just the ones that have problems, but everybody, so they can participate in that. And it's a monitoring program to try to realize and, and pick up on the early effects of that uh, concussion related. Uh, problems uh, to see if you can treat it and and sort of to understand it better. So a concussion, it's not just what happens on the outside. It really has to do with the movement of the brain inside the skull. So your brain is sort of sitting in a liquid in the soul in in the skull, and it's uh, it's it's suspended by these little guy wires called the meninges. And they sort of attach it to the to the lining of the skull and help support it, but the 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 fluid does too. So it's sort of floating in there. And what happens in any kind of injury where you go from moving to stopping abruptly? So it can be a motor vehicle collision where you hit your head. It may be like a football player. It might be soccer if you're hitting the ball. Uh, repeatedly. What about boxing too? Oh, definitely boxing. You know, and, and Muhammad Ali is a great example of a person mm-hmm. who had you know, a pretty severe injury, particularly with boxers. It, you know, the the big thing was Parkinson and Parkinson's type symptoms, and people thought for a long time, why are they just? There's so many more people with Parkinson's that were boxers. 
It's because of the part of the brain that was affected is the same part of the brain that people who develop Parkinson's, uh, um, um, same part of the brain that's affected. So anything that, that abruptly that, that uh, brain tissue sort of goes from moving to stopping abruptly, and it can, it can have direct injury, can have indirect injuries. There's different parts of the brain that are more affected by it. And it may not be inherently um, evident right off the bat. Now, a lot of people have gotten sort of, you know, uh, appropriately concerned about it. But a lot of people have gotten sort of irritated because if you have a young child uh, or, uh, you know, a son or a daughter who's had a concussion, you know that it is a much more regimented uh, system now, thankfully, uh, to try to return that player back to uh, the point where they can practice and play. And it's a much slower process before if you had didn't have symptoms, and sometimes even in the same game, you would be put back in. Now, if there's any kind of inclination that you're having or have had a concussion, then they take you out. Uh, you need brain rest, and that includes from studying sometimes. It definitely in- includes rest from things like video games. Uh, you want that brain tissue to appropriately have every chance it can to uh, to rest to the point where it can recover and um, from from the injury, um, and then to try to prevent that in the future. Certainly, headgear is very important. Uh, most of the non sports related concussions, uh, you know, in in motor vehicle collisions, certainly motorcycles, ATVs, anything where you're moving in high speed, you want to make sure you're protecting your brain, and that can decrease your risk. It doesn't. Totally take it away, though. I mean, there's there's certainly things out there. We have tons of football players with helmets that do that. And interestingly enough, with football, it's the head-on collisions. Certainly, there's a risk there, but it's it's a rotational injury too. So it's something about when you when you have a rotational injury, it sort of shears those cells in the brain. Um, but knowing that and a physician that's following that over time. That's important to try to make sure that they're picking up on anything that might, you know, that might uh, be down the road. Multiple concussions, the more you have, the more risk there is. Uh, it was interesting that this doctor was trying to explain to the NFL that, that some creatures like a woodpecker, you know, that, that they, they have their brain bouncing around when they, with all the concussive movements they make, you know, pecking into a tree or something. Right. But he said that there's some creatures like woodpeckers that have built-in little cages that protect their brains, but humans don't have that. I yeah. thought it was interesting. Too. Yeah, bighorn sheep are a great example. Oh, so really? if you've seen a bighorn sheep or videos of them, they, they battle each other, right? So the males will just have these horrendous head collisions. And, of course, a bighorn sheep has those huge uh, curved horns. But if you look at the inside of their heads, they have all these systems to help absorb that. So <laughs> humans can't do that. We see all these movies all the time, people headbutting each other, and they're just fine. Uh, you know, if you initiate the headbutt, it doesn't hurt you. That's crazy. It does. We're not designed to headbutt anybody. A bighorn sheep is. Instantly, see, that movie is, is named con- is Concussion. Uh, Kevin Farrell's uh, like he's diligently looking these things up and letting me know. So Concussion 2015 starring Will Smith, if anybody uh, wants to check it out. I, I tell you, Will Smith, <laughs> he's not like Meryl Streep. He could not keep the accent up. He, he'd, <laughs> he'd do the Nigerian accent for a while, and then he'd yeah. a few words, in, you know, in, in typical American. So it's hard to – Yeah. But anyway, I, I wanted to ask you, why, what do you think there is in human nature that likes – these violent movies, like I mean, not the movie, but like this violent activities like to watch boxing and football playing. Why can't people be satisfied with something besides 
No, and there might be an injury. You know, you, you know, I, who who can explain all those things? You know, human nature is is in competition, and the more violent sometimes. You know, you think about human history with the Roman Empire and the Colosseum and the games that went on there and the bloody mess that it was. Uh, you know, that is just in human nature. To me, it's just, you know, fallen man will do those things. And, uh, you know, I don't think we've seen the end of it either. So there's a, there's a, a uh, certainly it's gotten less violent, I think, overall. But but still, there's there's lots of those things. Can I make one last comment? Sure, real quick. You mentioned the, the, the Romans. There, a Roman emperor said once when they had the, the gladiator games in the, in the Colosseum and all this, you know, and he, he was commenting, saying, Give the populace bread and circuses. In other words, keep them fed and entertained, and they won't complain about what's going on with my garden, you know. That's true. Yeah, they did say that. All right, Sue, we're going to move on to some other topics. Thank you all for calling, though. That's a great uh, topic that certainly, uh, you know, high school sports, they certainly deal with it. And thankfully, there is a lot more information out there. I know a lot of people get I've had parents ask me, you know, about their kids. Like, they're still they're going to a concussion clinic, so we have these specialty clinics that do that. Uh, just look at those things. But, you know, they're like, hey, it's been four weeks. So are they ever going to get to play? Well, it really, you sort of have to, to gauge that off that individual uh, uh, on their progression and in, in how they're doing. And there's different ways to test that. There's some good systems out there. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can uh, reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to be taking your calls and a couple other things in the news. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy, and uh, enjoying this weather. Talked about it earlier. I can't say enough about it. I just get energized when the sun comes out, particularly after a long period of rain like we had. It just seems like we're in the doldrums. And as a lot of people would say, good Scottish weather out there, but it's nice to see the sunshine. Hey, uh, if you have a question this morning, we've got a wide open board right now. Give us a call. We actually uh, we had one caller earlier that we dropped. Hey, if you got some time, call back with that question. We've got plenty of time to uh, to address it and try to get you an answer. The number to call this morning to reach us live is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Surgery. Hey, everybody, you know, from time to time, you may have a surgery coming up. And uh, 
most of the time, those are what we call elective surgeries. That means that it's not an emergent thing, like if you did have a car wreck and you had to go uh, fix something, um, or if there's other surgeries that have to be done right then and there, and acute appendicitis would be a good example of that. But in elective surgeries, you know, one of the things that, that our surgeons uh, and our team, really any kind of surgery is uh, sort of the prototypical team that, of people that help take care of you and help decrease the amount of complications that you might have. Some of the things, is a recent uh, article in the New England Journal of Medicine on decreasing the risk of something called aspiration pneumonia. So aspiration pneumonia is, you know, our lungs help protect us from getting infections or getting an injury. And when you go under general anesthesia, that's where they they uh, put you uh, out a lot and they put you on the the, uh, the breathing machine, the ventilator, uh, during the surgery to help control the situation for the, uh, the surgery that you're having. If you go on that, there is a small risk of, of aspiration pneumonia. Some individuals, there's a greater risk of that. Uh, but that's actually, we used to think that you just got bacteria into your lungs, but just because of the way that we do anesthesia, uh, your lungs don't clear things like they should. You can also have a chemical uh, inflammation in the lungs. We call that a pneumonitis, uh, a chemical pneumonitis. But there's a couple of things in this uh, review article that really looked at how can you decrease the risk of that. So if you're having surgery, this would explain some of the things that surgeons and anesthesiologists tell you to do. Um, for a patient that is emergently, you're going to have to put them on the on the ventilator. Uh, they do recommend in some situations within 24 hours of having some antibiotic therapy to try to cut down on the risk of those uh, of those bacteria that might cause that. But one of the most common things, if you think about it, if you've had surgery, is you know they tell me not to eat before surgery. So what's up with that? Are they just torturing me? I'm already going to go under the knife, and then all of a sudden I can't eat beforehand. Well, that's to prevent that aspiration pneumonia. So no food for at least eight hours. And then most people will allow you to have clear liquids up to two hours prior to the elective surgery with general anesthesia. And again, same kind of thing. We're just making sure that we don't have secretions in your mouth that go uh, down into the lungs inappropriately. In special situations, particularly if you've had a stroke or a loved one with a stroke, uh, after you come off a ventilator, if you had to be on a ventilator for that stroke uh, and, and uh, for any period of time, they recommend from situation to situation that you might need to have a swallowing evaluation. And a lot of times they'll do that with a stroke anyway, where they uh, ask you to swallow this material. It's a liquid usually. They have different consistencies of it. And then they look at that as it goes down. So it's radio-opaque, meaning we can look at it in real time with, uh, with x-rays to see if you're swallowing appropriately. You're protecting those lungs from getting that. And then there's some other medications that you can uh, use to control blood pressure, particularly after things like a stroke. Oral care is a big deal. So if you have, if you already have sort of gingivitis or if you've got bad uh, cavities, uh, if your dentist has told you, hey, your teeth are atrocious, uh, those are things that you may need to address before an elective surgery. Um, so our mouths, we don't think about that, but that if you've got all these bacteria that are just chewing away at different things, uh, and then you go on the ventilator, that's going to increase your risk of having uh, aspiration pneumonia. And then after you have it, they want you, what do they want you to do? You know, you go under the knife. They don't let you eat beforehand, and then they tell me I need to get up, get up, get up, get up. 
Well, getting up and moving around helps your lungs sort of mobilize things. And some people, after they have a surgery, they'll have a device over at the bedside. It looks like a clear plastic box. And they'll ask you to blow in this box. And that's really some exercise for your lungs so that you can open up those airways that may have closed off partially during the surgery. And then to get all that that air sort of moving and all those secretions sort of cleared out. Coughing is, is to be expected after a surgery like that. So you may have a little bit of cough that may be an irritation in your throat. Or it might be that your lungs are trying to clear that stuff up. So cough is not always bad. And then, you know, for other, uh, it's not really recommended some other things um, for, um, you know, for uh, there's some other old things that we used to do, like using a material called chlorhexidine uh, to try to, you know, decrease the risk of of aspiration, sort of an antiseptic. Did find out that some of those things aren't that useful. Uh, which is nice to look at over time what you do because you end up having a lot of things that are useful and some that aren't. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can reach us this morning with any kind of health care question that you might have. Maybe it's you, your son, daughter. Maybe it's your grandparents. Uh, it doesn't have to be your uh, thing that's going on. Maybe there's a medication that you've been uh, recently prescribed. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 6727464 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Speaking of warmer weather, I had this question come up just this morning like what do you do with, for prevention of ticks? As you know, we have lots of ticks in the south and uh, in fact my son uh, went out with some buddies into the woods this past weekend and he had a tick uh, underneath his arm that he uh, pulled off. Those little little critters can get in there and burrow in there with their heads. Uh, they are fastidious, man. They are just, they will get a hold of you. And you really pick them up most of the time. They, what they do, if you've ever seen one on a blade of grass or on a twig or a tree, they just sort of hang out there and they, they hold on with a couple of their legs and then the other legs, they just sort of just reach out. Like they want a big hug from you. And as soon as you brush by them, they're going to latch on. And uh, then they crawl to wherever they can get to their skin. Obviously, Places that are more exposed, like around your ankles, uh, neck, uh, hair, they can latch onto that and then crawl up. And then they they are really good at, once they get attached to you, you don't feel it until they've been there for a while. So they almost have sort of an anesthetic effect to them when they they bite and lodge uh, onto your skin. And obviously, we all, no matter how much you bathe and, you know, you could, you could, uh, have an antiseptic wash three times a day and still have bacteria on your skin uh, that come there. We, we normally have that. So any kind of break in the skin, particularly as it relates to something like a tick or a bug bite, that can allow those bacteria to get in the skin and you can have a local reaction or a local cellulitis, which is a bacterial infection of the skin. And uh, the main thing is to try to prevent these uh, ticks. And uh, DEET is the probably the best thing out there that you can uh, use, particularly in areas if you don't want to spray all of yourself down or your kids down, just you know, right around, uh, you know, if you're using longer sleeved and longer pants, uh, which is that's what's recommended out there, right around the ankles and around the wrist, you might want to spray some DEET. Uh, off is, you know, a, a brand, but we have all kinds of DEET product, products. And then doing sort of an inspection for these ticks, and it helps if you. Uh, uh, there's a Brad Paisley song about that just came to mind. Uh, but uh, you know, an inspection of of different areas that you may not can see 
that you uh, may have a little critter hanging on there. Uh, they can cause some tick-borne illnesses. So as they bite certain things, they can be transmitted. So a deer tick in particular in our area is very common. Everybody thinks about Lyme disease. Uh, you know, certainly it is possible, but it is highly unlikely unless you have traveled to other areas. Mississippi doesn't have a lot of endemic Lyme disease. It is difficult to diagnose. A lot of people are diagnosed with it. Uh, and it's not true Lyme disease, so you have to be careful with that. But there's plenty of other stuff that ticks cause, or lichiosis is one, uh, you know, the Rocky Mountain spotted fever. There's lots of other things that they can uh, cause that can be devastating. And you can even get a tick paralysis, which is a, this used to be one of our favorite things to see in the ER. It would be a horrendous situation for a family, but they would have a child that would come in totally paralyzed or partially paralyzed, couldn't walk, couldn't move around. Uh, still breathing most of the time. And we would look for one of the first things he would do would ask if they were active outside and then look for a tick. And if we found it, you can take that tick off. And within about 30 minutes, they're walking around and they get a tick paralysis from the different uh, things that the tick is secreting. It's, it's a cool thing you can do in the ER uh, in the pediatric ER. And you're like, ha ha, they look like a miracle worker when it's really simple. You just took that tick off. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. Uh, the phone number to call this morning for any kind of questions is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven. 672-7464 or you can email at remedy at mpbonline.org Let's go to Ray in Memphis Good morning Ray, thanks for calling How you doing sir? Good I'm doing, Listen, uh, I have a question uh, if you could answer for me about hair loss Okay All right. Uh, I'm losing hair uh, uh, from my, from my uh, right in the front it's going backwards, but here's the problem and my concern is it it's just real bad, and it's it is that normal for regular normal hair loss as far as you know. Yeah, and I, there are a couple of things that might be happening. So normal male pattern baldness, you know, and it it's one of those things that most males have at least some hair loss as they get older. Um, and, uh, you know, females can have it too. It's, it's due to the hormone changes in those little hair follicles. So all of our heads have these little hair follicles on them and they grow, they grow hair, but they also have some glands that are around them and in the, in the follicle shaft too, that help, uh, secrete certain chemicals to keep the skin soft and supple and, uh, you know, have some oils on the skin. So if you think about it, most people, everybody has a different distribution, but right around your hairline tends to be a little bit oilier, and that's because of those glands are right there. So okay. as as those hair follicles stop producing that hair, it, your scalp can become drier. So it is it is pretty common, you know, particularly in men that have, have big areas of that. I have that on the back of my head. Uh, you know, that's yeah. that's an area that and, you know, it gets more sun exposure now, too. So that can dry it out over time. So yeah. I, I would recommend in those areas to use a sunblock because most of the time it is it's going to protect you against skin cancer, reduce your okay. risk of that. But it also can help keep that that scalp, uh, that area of your skin uh, from getting too dried out. But that's fairly common. There are, there, there are, you know, a lot of, uh, you know, uh, sort of stabilizers of that process, things like Propecia and Minoxidil that you can take. Minoxidil is a topical agent. It's an old blood pressure medication that if you give it to somebody by, you know, a pill form, we noticed everybody grew hair, which was unpopular with women. And most men were like, this is cool. But, oh, uh, wow. <laughs> but uh, and, and then Propecia is a, it sort of blocks the hormone 
um, interaction of those hair follicles. Most of the time, minoxidil will make you grow hair back, and it's pretty thick. But uh, Propecia, it sort of stabilizes things. You may grow a little bit of hair back. They do have some side effects that you have to watch out for, but um, those are the two most common things that dermatologists and others can can prescribe for that. Some of that, I think, is over-the-counter. Um, it, you know, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. I'm just one to embrace it. And, but you're exactly right. That sort of dryness of your scalp. One other condition that if you have, you know, if you have a decreased energy level, uh, if you're maybe gaining some weight, some other uh, uh, symptoms of hair loss, particularly of your eyebrows, uh, the, the latter third of your eyebrows, that, that may be a symptom of your thyroid not working appropriately. But most of the okay. most of the time, just a little bit of that dry scalp. It's probably just from that uh, male pattern baldness. Well, uh, I need to do something because if I don't, about halfway between from the center around to where you know the the hairline starts to drop down on the side. Yep. Uh, right, right through there. Uh, I would say, yeah, uh, I'm going to have a maybe a uh, a two inch part. Yeah, so that's the way it's working, man. <laughs> yeah, you may you may want to you may want to talk to your barber in those cases about yeah what kind of <laughs> options you might have. So you might want to shave some of those other areas right quick. It's a lot easier to deal with if you think about it that way. Okay. Well, thanks, Thank Ray. You very much. Sure. Yeah. Good luck to you. You know, that's something. Uh, like I said, I'm dealing with that. I noticed it the first time I was going to a sports event, and I'm like, "What is going on on my head? Like it is like hot up there." And, uh, you know, I couldn't look at it in the back of my head. So uh, I got burned. And I'm like, this is not cool. I'm, this is, I need hair back up there or a hat or something. This is Southern Remedy. I'm Dr. Jimmy. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four, Or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Got plenty of time for you to call. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, more of your questions and a couple of other issues that might be to your liking. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. Dr. Jimmy here taking your calls this morning. Any kind of questions you might have about the health of yourself or your family, if you've got that 
question that's been burning to ask your physician, but maybe you just couldn't uh, remember to ask it, or maybe you uh, went home and then something came up, and you can call in today. The number to call is one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. And we'll try to uh, tackle that question for you this morning. Hey, the opioid crisis, you probably have heard about this. I don't know if you, if you haven't. I don't know where you've been because it's been all over the news, not just in Mississippi, but elsewhere, too, all across the, the nation. Uh, major problem that we've had with opioids and certainly a lot of complications, way too many overdoses and deaths, uh, not to mention, uh, you know, loss of, of uh of functionality. Uh, you know, they get a bad rap, but they are useful in very small situations. The problem is uh, we've got way too many people on them for extended periods of time. And in a lot of cases, they don't really address all the problems and you should at least look for, as a physician or a primary care provider, you should at least look for some other uh, ways to control chronic pain. We know a lot more about chronic pain uh, nowadays than we used to. But the uh, Mississippi Board of Pharmacy recently re- uh, released some data that I thought was interesting. If you go back to 2014, in Mississippi alone, uh, there were about 932,000 people in the state uh, who had, had received at least one opioid prescription. These are things like Norco, Tylenol number 3, uh, those kinds of things. So uh, oxycodone, hydrocodone, uh, those are all in that sort of opioid pain medication category. So almost a million people in 2014 received at least one opioid prescription. So in 2018, through our monitoring, it, that has gone down, thankfully, to 723,000. So still a large number of people, but we've we've definitely seen a decrease, probably because of the increased information that we've uh, given out there. There's a lot of materials for physicians now to educate them and uh, starting to see a lot more for patients, too, to try to educate them on the issue. If you look at benzodiazepines, these are things like Xanax, Ativan, Valium. Uh, we know that particularly if you're taking these in conjunction at the same time with an opioid, that puts you at a much higher risk of uh, of death, of uh, a lot of other complications from from that combination of medications. So in 2018, in that class, those benzodiazepines, about 228,000 people had at least one prescribed to them. And that was also a decrease from 2014. It was about 270,000 then. Um, if you look at, uh, you know, the prescribing, we still have a lot of ways to go from a physician standpoint, because uh, just last year or so, there were uh, 50,000, a little over 50,000 Mississippians who uh, filled an opioid and a benzodiazepine prescription on the same day. And again, that's a little bit higher risk of those, a lot higher risk, actually, of, of complications. And there may be some situations where you might do that, uh, but it's, it is an issue. There are some counties that they've identified that you see this as, as a much uh, higher prevalence. Uh, Issaquina, George, Perry, Lawrence, Webster, uh, you know, particularly for the opioids, and then Issaquina, Tishomingo, Al- Alcorn, Hancock, and Yalabusha for the benzodiazepine. So there may be some prescribing patterns that we can, you know, target and do some more education in those areas to try to 
to decrease that use. There are lots of alternatives that people still don't don't quite. Uh, you know what what I usually do is say there's there's a, actually an equation that we use to calculate the amount of opioids that a person is taking, and it's called an MME. Um, and uh, basically, it's an equation just to sort of quantify that. Uh, it's a morphine milligram equivalent is what it stands for. So if you look at that average, that average has actually gone up since 2014. So even though they may not receive as, as many prescriptions, uh, they may be getting a higher dose. And and we're talking about chronic pain that is not uh, end-of-life issues, non-cancerous type pains, uh, incalcitrant pains. Uh, even then, though, there are other medications out there that are really good at treating that chronic pain. And then it gives us an opportunity too. you know, it is very unlikely in a lot of chronic pain uh, syndromes that we would ever totally get rid of the pain. That is an unrealistic thing. Unfortunately, that's something that most of the time, at least a part of it, we have to live with. But the functionality part of it is a big thing. Like, what are your goals? What do you want to do? And most people, when you get to talking to them about that, they want to spend time with their grandkids. They want to do what they could. You know, they want to walk around. They want to go to the grocery store. They want to be able to drive a car. Those are the kind of things that that are good goals to to push toward, not the total absence of pain. So a lot of ways to go on that with the opioid prescribing uh, certainly something that we need to uh, work on in the state and, and the nation for that matter. This is Southern Remedy. You can reach us this morning by calling one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. Or you can email us at remedy at mpbonline.org. Mentioned ticks earlier, so what about those other things that might uh, wake up and attack you? Uh, fire ants, right? I mean, in the South, how can you get rid of fire ants? They're everywhere. Sometimes they invade your home. Uh, they are all out in the yard. It's not too long. Uh, you know, they, they try to, to protect their brood chamber where they have all of their eggs. So when it gets colder, they go down a little bit deeper in the ground. But once it starts to warm up, they're going to bring that stuff up, and those little mounds are going to pop up all over your yard I can remember my youngest child um, who, you know, sat in one one time and came next door and then came running over, you know, screaming bloody murder. What do you do when your kid does that? Or maybe you do that. Um, I have a tendency to be so focused on things in the yard and around the house. If I get into some ants, I don't initially feel it until they're right there. And ants have this incredible defense mechanism that not only do they sting you, but they bite you. And usually they'll bite you, and then they'll rotate the the back part of their abdomen around and start stinging you at the same time. So they're just vicious. They, they latch on and then do both of them at the same time. They have this nasty stuff called formic acid, uh, and that's one of the things they secrete that causes the inflammation, the pain, uh, the, the, the raised up areas. Uh, these ants, uh, you know, they don't, they don't care. They will just, uh, bite you a whole lot. And with all the water that we're, um, uh, you know, seeing too, I think Marshall Ramsey had posted a pic of this that I saw on Twitter that, uh, you have these little balls of ants that sort of float around. So what happens if you get bitten by them, uh, or stung by them? It doesn't really matter either way. Um, there's lots of things that have been tried for that. Cool water, well, getting them off is the first thing. And unlike ticks that you, I didn't mention like removing them, usually you want to use tweezers or protected hand and pull them straight out, not at an angle because you can dislodge their head underneath the skin. Most ants you can just, you know, brush off of you without any kind of problems of 
retain little ant parts. Um, and then you want to cool down that area. I like to just follow it with a, a you know cool water of immersion of that extremity. Usually it's an extremity that you get bit on. And then there's some other things you can put on there. Uh, a buddy of mine that I work with, he recommends uh, Windex. So if you spray Windex on there, the ammonia helps to sort of break down those substances. It also feels cool if you think about it because of the evaporative effect of Windex. Um, that's something that you can use. Lots of, of topical things. You can use uh, pretty much in everybody uh, over-the-counter hydrocortisone. So if you just dot a little bit of it on your finger and you put it on top of that, uh, that that's what I like to follow it with just because it decreases that inflammation right off the bat and helps to, you know, so it helps to sort of uh, make it feel better. Topical Benadryl, honestly, it doesn't do too much besides the cooling effect. Um, uh, oral Benadryl or things like Zyrtec or Claritin or Allegra, those re- work really well from the allergic type side of things. And allergies, you're going to have an allergies to certainly to fire ants. Most people are going to have a whelp there. They may even have a, a circle of redness. That's to be expected if uh, over time if you get, have any kind of breathing problems or if you have the whole extremity that is um, that is swelling up. That's really an emergent situation that you need to ha- have that checked out immediately. Uh, you can develop allergies at any point in your life. So if you, you know, you did just fine with uh, ant bites or wasp things early on, you can develop that later on. So don't think that you're necessarily immune to it. Uh, but you need to do get checked out about that uh, at your earliest convenience. All right, this is Southern Remedy. We're going to take a short break. When we come back, we're going to... Um, Take your calls. Got a wide open board right now and a couple more things in the news. You can reach us this morning by calling 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464 or send an email to remedy at mpbonline.org. Southern Remedy with Dr. Jimmy Stewart on MPB Think Radio. To take part in today's show with your questions or comments, call 1-877-MPB-RING. That's 1-877-672-7464. Or you can email the show, remedy at mpbonline.org. Welcome back to Southern Remedy. This is Dr. Jimmy with you today, just sort of visiting with a lot of people and uh, on the air and uh, taking your questions. Still got time for you to call in if you've got something to uh, to ask or maybe a comment. You can reach us this morning at one eight seven seven mpb ring That's one eight seven seven six seven two seven four six four. 672 Beautiful weather. I know people are going to be out there talking about all these arthropods. That's right. Those things that bite you, all those insects and things that you can do to Maybe prevent that. We're going to go to Mikey now on the line, waiting patiently. Thanks for calling in. 
Hey, thank you so much for answering. Um, we're getting on to the season here already in Mobile, and it's not just Mardi Gras. <laughs> <laughs> it's all kinds of different seasons. It depends yeah, well, on. Yeah, we, we got the misty stuff going on a lot, which is magnificent. It yeah. really is. Um, uh, but, uh, of course, the bugs like to, you know, do their thing in, in that sort of environment, don't they? Right. Um, and so, um, and you know, whether I like it or not, I got to get out there and do some stuff, right? <laughs> yeah, you and me both. I got way too much in the yard that, you know, particularly all that uh, rain and wind that came through and sticks. I think y'all got a good bit of, y'all had a lot of water down there too, right? Oh, yes, sir. Yep. We, you know, we always do. That's, uh, we're Gulf Coast folks that's it yep. um plenty uh, of water uh, it, it grows bugs you know it's like which is a good thing i mean it is it's not always fun but it's a good thing right um and and my question is helping yourselves out um yourself and your pets also um okay I, i've learned from uh, uh kathleen and osaka thank you dear very much what a dear lady and how intelligent um the the vinegar carrying a little, little bottle of apple apple cider apple sorry, apple cider vinegar yeah, there we okay. go okay working the way mine says right yeah. now um yeah a small bottle of apple cider vinegar a travel size bottle in your pocket when you go out and putting it on within 30 seconds really does help to um, alleviate a lot of the allergic um, reaction to a lot of things, which for me, wasps is especially important. Yeah. Um, uh, and, and I'm assuming it probably, it, well, I found it works for pretty much, if it bites me, I put some apple cider vinegar on it because I got it right there. Can't, can't um, hurt, right? Right, can't hurt. And my, my big question is, <laughs> this is a really big one. You ready? All right, I'm ready. <laughs> um, uh, <laughs> if I go over that with hand sanitizer, or should I put the hand sanitizer on first? Before you put the apple cider vinegar on? Right. I'm thinking the vinegar is probably, I mean, because it's the easiest to, to travel around with. But, you know, if you've got to walk back even a little bit and uh, you may be going back over that. What about the hand sanitizer? Because this, of course, alcohol alcohol based as, right. as far as I can tell. Well, I think you're going to, if you use the hand sanitizer of any sort, it's going to, you know, particularly if it's alcohol based, it's going to sort of take off that whatever you've put on there, even if it's, you know, if it's al- al- apple cider, now I can't say it, apple cider vinegar. Um, <laughs> so I, what I would do if there's, you know, if you want to, you know, if you need to, to use the hand sanitizer, just put the apple cider vinegar on right after it. I mean, that's not going to be any big deal. Um, well, but, it, but it's hard to carry the, the hand is. sanitizer in your pocket. So yeah. I'm thinking, you know, it's like I got Well, they make those like little bottles. You know, some of the smaller bottles aren't that aren't that big. And you don't need a whole lot of it either. I mean, it's just the alcohol gels in particular. You don't really need right. a, a lot of that. It, incidentally, so, it's, you know, just uh, some, some soap and water does just fine. They've done some great studies on comparing that to some of the, you know, fancier alcohol-based sanitizers and soap and water does just fine. But I suspect the, the things that we talked about, whether it's Windex or whether it's vinegar or whatever, it's, uh, it, it's, it's, it's all about the solvent. So whatever material is there. Now, it's not going to go in your skin. I mean, none of those things that we've mentioned are going to penetrate into the skin unless you've got a big gaping hole there. Uh, the skin's pretty impervious to those kinds of things. Uh, one of our chemistry teachers in college, you know, used to say 
Uh, you know, if you had a big uh, a big bottle of alcohol, if, if if things could get into our skin, you could just put your hand in a big bottle of alcohol and get drunk. But we don't because that that layer of skin it doesn't absorb that. Uh, but what it does is, <clears throat> if there's anything on the surface of the skin, of course, it can sort of break that down and uh, it sort of feels better. So, yeah, I think that's fine. If you're going to use the the apple cider vinegar, you could uh, maybe do the hand sanitizer first and then and then do that. But you know, if you're outside, if you're outside, you don't have to use both. I mean, if you're going to be out there for a while, just use the vinegar. And when you come in, you can certainly you know use the uh, hand sanitizer and then just put the vinegar back on. Or the the water, but of course, you know it's like a yep. because if you if you if you're out there and you need to get it on in thirty seconds, then you've got to drag that hundred foot hose wherever, right? <laughs> That's right, <laughs> right. One way of the but you're getting your exercise, Mikey. I mean, there there you go. Well. That's why nobody better try to beat me up. Okay? <laughs> <laughs> I wouldn't do it. All right. Thanks for calling. Thanks for calling. Yeah, all those things we have to um, think about. And sometimes we can be carrying a lot of stuff. Mikey mentioned exercise. Thought I'd throw this in there too. Uh, the recent study in uh, from Harvard, out of Harvard Medical School, about uh, some of the things that we can do to improve our memory and thinking skills. You know, if you think about your brain and how it works, it is uh, twofold. There's some passive things that it does and then active things uh, or, or direct and indirect means. This the, the indirect are the things that sort of uh, the things we do day in and day out. And a lot of those we don't think about how we get to work, how we go home. Uh, moving through the house, if you have impaired brain function or you have somebody in your family with that, you know that that can even those can be difficult at times. So how can we help to prevent that? Well, we said this before, but just some more evidence of it. Regular exercise seems to protect uh, the memory and thinking through both of those indirect and direct activities. So there's benefits there. Um, and it reduces things like insulin resistance. That's how our bodies uh, utilize Insulin, which is a hormone that controls our blood sugar, uh, it reduces inflammation and it stimulates the release of growth factors, uh, which are chemicals in the brain that help to, uh, to those brain cells to uh, regenerate and uh, gr- growth of new blood vessels in the brain. I mean, we don't really think about regular exercise affecting our brains, but there's more and more evidence of this, that the more you do, the more active you are over a long period of time, the more you're going to preserve that uh, direct and indirect brain function. So get out and get moving uh, in this nice uh, sunny weather. Uh, Certainly something that we all should do, uh, but just a little bit more evidence about improving your memory. Everybody ask about that, or if you get to a certain age, should you, you know, take a, uh, take Aricept as one of the medications is used frequently with dementia. That hasn't really panned out, particularly if you don't have symptoms, but, Certainly, uh, regular exercise can do that. And uh, perfect time. We always think about, you know, um, um, uh, resolutions around the first of the year. But really, this is the time when, I, at least I think, that you should uh, think about those kinds of things just because that's a, it's a great time to get out and get active. Eating can do that, too. And the one thing about exercise is you can't do it uh, sporadically. You really need to do it. Uh, over the long period of time just because of the way that those those things work in the body. So it's something that you have to be committed to because you, you sort of lose those long-term effects after about a two-week period. 
Well, this is Southern Remedy. That's all the time we have for today. Southern Remedy is a production of Mississippi Public Public Broadcasting Think Radio and is funded in part by a grant from the University of Mississippi Medical Center and from generous support from you, our listeners. Today's show was engineered by Kevin Farrell. Our call screener was Jay White. I'm Dr. Jimmy Stewart. You can join us every Wednesday at 11 for Southern Remedy. And stay tuned for NPR's Here and Now coming up next on MPB Think Radio.